Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Harley Weir's approach to image making is one rooted in alchemy. She's actively creating space for the unexpected, fusing materials together that challenge each other, evoking an immediate and arresting world. Beyond her limitless talent, what is so captivating about Harley is her honesty about the process, the industry, and what her practice enables her to do. I think my work is actually really personal. I find them quite cathartic, the way I've made them. It's almost like in an art therapy sense. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Harley Weir is a London-based fashion photographer whose work has been published in the world's most prominent magazines, as well as made in collaboration with brands like Balenciaga, Gucci, Isabel Moron, and Marc Jacobs. She's published five books to date and exhibited in a number of global institutions, including Foam Amsterdam, the MEP, and Hannah Barry Gallery. What unites Harley's work is this highly attuned sense of colour and composition that disrupts notions of gaze, desire, sexuality and beauty, while also speaking to a range of political and social issues, including plastic waste, the rights of refugees and migrants and marine conservation. Her practice is not interested in being one thing. Instead, it explores multiple avenues at any one time. Over lockdown, I got kicked out of my studio, so I haven't I, was, I haven't actually made any like new work since lockdown, really. Right. So, yeah, I was feeling very creative like before lockdown, and that was an exciting time for me. And then it kind of got like snubbed out a bit. But I'm I'm like recovering and recuperating now. But it has been quite slow. I've mm. really not felt that. I mean, I'm kind of bored of it about lockdown, but yeah. I have been like not so. I haven't felt as creative after lockdown. But I did read somewhere that COVID like shrinks your brain. And I was like, I hope it didn't shrink too much. Shit, really? I haven't read that. Yeah, I heard it does <laughs> shrink. It shrinks your brain temporarily. One of the things that freaked me out that I read about, it wasn't sort of, it's related to COVID, but it was talking about the way humans deal with massive crises like that what like you know you know your life completely changing overnight and the mental health implications of it and it was saying that we actually don't feel the true mental health repercussions until three to five years afterwards that makes sense it does but it sort of like totally shit me up because I was just like (laughs) coming like you feel like you're grappling with it already yes you better watch out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're just like, what, there's worse to come? Like, fuck, it's a lot. But yeah, it's interesting how all the all the different and complicated ways that COVID has affected artist practice is quite interesting. Even just, like you say, like the, the simple fact of like, sh- not that it's simple because it's your livelihood, but like shows being cancelled and what that means. Yeah, yeah, it was quite like, it made me feel quite frustrated because I felt like I couldn't move on because I yeah. had this kind of backlog of work. 
from before lockdown that no one sort of like knew about and I didn't want to keep just posting on my Instagram because it feels like they're very physical in nature as well these kind of let's call them photo paintings for now so I never really know what to call them but these kind of photo paintings like really need to be seen in real life because there's so much like looking at JPEG it's like you know the scale the texture you can't see that so it did feel like something that needed to be like um viscerally looked at physically yeah that's one of the things that I really love about this work is that it's sort of about intimacy but you also demand intimacy of us because because of the way the work is our interaction has to be very up close with the layering and sort of this interplay of what is visible and what is disguised in some ways it, it really forces you to like get your face right into the work which is really exciting I found it really exciting it felt like you were hiding secrets from us or sort of leading us on this trail to like force us to look harder and pay attention more which I which I really liked and I wondered if you sort of consciously think about audience when you're making the work or if it's much more of like a personal endeavor I think my work is actually really personal and that's why I tend because obviously I'm known for my fashion work and I find that a lot easier because it's it's not personal it, well it can be sometimes but you didn't really notice it um but yeah with these ones it can be quite hard like some of the works were too personal to put up and um I find that I find them quite cathartic the way I've made them it's almost like in an art therapy sense kind of like I do like you know think about things and it's quite physically on the paper so I do them in the in total darkness um so just for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about they're kind of like um using analog photo paper and then I mix different chemicals body fluids different textures things stuck on the paper and then they go through the processor and it kind of like um sets the image as you would like a normal photograph so there'd be like a photograph underneath it and then it's like layered on top of these like chemicals and um, but I do it like all completely in darkness so I'm kind of like a witch like sticking all these things on in the dark <laughs> and there's definitely something about the darkness that quite sort of like brings out um you know, I've, I I went to art school when I was younger and I just didn't, I wasn't quite confident enough to like continue being an artist because I felt like, you know, afraid of not being good enough. And I think in the dark, like, you know, you can't really care because you can't make a mistake. So you're just kind of like, you know, feeling scratching, like making marks with your hand, like it's very messy and you just, you can't fuck up. The fuck up is the work. So like... Mm. There's something very like nice about that in an art therapy sense that I'm like, you know, making in the dark. I, I can't make a bad piece because I didn't know what it looked like. You know what I mean? So yeah. when it comes out, apart from the fact that I'm always really surprised and that's really exciting, like doing, making things in the art, I often, in the dark, sorry, I often like scratch into it drawings and things like that. Yeah, doing it in the dark means that I can be like completely like free to sort of like, make a horrible mess and not feel bad about it afterwards there's a lot about your art practice which I'm curious if it is about offering you something completely different to what your commercial practice does because you know you were talking then about the dark and and it sounds quite sacred the space to you like you know you alone in the room being very physical 
without like the gaze of like a hundred people on a massive fucking set looking over your shoulder. Is that quite important to you to have that sort of counter experience? Yeah, I think it's important to have an outlet and a lot of, I mean, people hate when I do abstract stuff. Whenever I um, ask to do an exhibition, I'm like, oh, what about my abstract stuff? And they're like, no, please, can you just, can we just have some naked peeps? Or like, please. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but the abstract for me is, is, is important because it's like, it's a step away from my work and it does feel more personal and more me. And also it's, it's difficult always working with, photography is so to the point, you know, you put an image of something and people think that's, you know, that's exactly that's what it is. If I if I painted such a thing, it would be deflected and, you know, wouldn't be so real. Um, and it's hard to always work with the human body as I would. Or things that exist, it just can be quite frustrating because I can't do exactly what I want to do. And you're always having to worry about who's in front of the camera, you know, as well, because I feel like whoever's in front of the camera it becomes a collaboration and they're part of it too. So it's difficult to like, really be yourself with photography because there's quite a lot of components. Obviously, there's a portraiture, which you can do, which is mm. fun, which I have done lately. Coming soon. How do you feel about being on the other side of the camera? Actually, I really like it. It's fun. Do you? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been quite, like, coy and uh, shy about my image, I suppose. I don't really, I hadn't really shown it until quite recently, I suppose. Not a lot of people knew what I looked like. And the pictures mm. are hanging around on the internet, like really dodgy and like ancient. But I did feel the need to sort of like photograph myself from coming from the same angle as before, because it just it's difficult. Like when you have an image of someone else, that's a part of them too, you know, so it's not mm. really, it's very much, it's a lot of sharing. Maybe that's something that lockdown <laughs> did to me as well. Maybe selfish. <laughs> sure. Everyone became a little island, didn't they? Yeah, for sure. And and you know what? It's it's a lot harder to be in front of your cam in your own camera as well. So there's a lot of vulnerability, you know? Mm, nah. Really? I just I just have to be careful not to take it too far. <laughs> right. <laughs> just related to something you said then, because I wasn't gonna ask you this, but I am curious now you mentioned it. It does feel like for the status and power you have within the industry, which I'm sure you have an opinion on, you have kept quite a relatively low profile. Like your work has a huge profile, but it feels like you've kept yourself to yourself a bit, if that makes sense. I don't know if you feel like that. Um, I guess growing up, um, being a woman, like people often like the first thing people will say to you is something about the way you look. Um, and I think I never wanted my looks to be, I didn't want to be, a piece of meat, I suppose. I didn't want people to judge my work on what I looked like. I felt like my appearance wasn't didn't need to be important. I also mm-hmm. every time I rocked up to a shoot, people would always mention, "Oh, you look so young," or mm. um, or people would be surprised that I was a photographer. I don't know. I just like didn't. I wanted to. I wanted my work to be respected rather than. I didn't want my appearance to affect my work. Basically, not to say yeah. that I have some kind of hideous or like. Not that it would affect it that much, but I guess I got burned a few times working, you know, you know, even to this day, like people will still comment on the way I look like, oh God, surprise, you're so young looking or something. I don't know, like, yeah, you know, I didn't want people to disrespect. I mean, there is a lot of disrespect with age as well. I feel like people don't feel comfortable um, 
you know, if you're a, if you went to have heart surgery and you had like some young kid about to like cut you open, you'd be like, oh god, are you sure you know what you're doing? And <laughs> yeah. I just didn't really want to be. Yeah, I didn't want that to be a part of my work. I didn't want to be like carry that baggage kind of yeah I just I'd rather I'd rather people like I mean a lot of people thought I was a guy for a long time I'd come to a shoot and they'd go oh because my name's Harley and it's unisex they thought I might be a guy or I think that worked in my favor unfortunately yeah that's interesting I don't know maybe not now things have changed but at the time it worked well for me just being a bit more ambiguous I don't know I know I don't know what difference it will make if I decide to make my appearance more public. I'm sure it would be completely fine and I was wrong. But in the beginning, I wanted to be respected for my work and not whatever I looked like at the time, which was like a schoolgirl. Yeah, I mean, it's really, I think it's smart, to be honest. It's, it is, that it's absolute bullshit that women and certain certain identities have to have to do this. Yeah, guys, too. I'm sure so many guys get like, you know, if you're a guy that doesn't like look, you know, big nose, beard, manly, like, you know, trustworthy looking, and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of guys that um, get treated the same if they don't have that like powerful masculine sort of like all knowing wizard look. Mm. <laughs> it's interesting to think about aging in our industry as well, because I feel like there's about six months when you're not too young, but then you're not too old. It's literally like a, a tiny window. Yeah, I know just waiting to be old I used to lie about my age whenever I'd go to shoot I'd be like you know I'm I'm 26 <laughs> or whatever and I'd be like I'm much younger but yeah it, but it does and I do it myself too like I can't help it like if someone says they're 20 I'm like oh you're a baby I just people do it yeah it's interesting going back to sins of daughter like you were saying about collaboration then and it's interesting because I came to that and thought there's something about the performance of materials in that work that they kind of feel like a collaborator in that they're kind of unpredictable and there's this sort of alchemy happening that you don't know what's going to happen and what they're going to do. Is that something that's like super generative and sort of exciting for you when you're in the process of making? I mean, I, to be honest, I never, like I actually practiced the, like, the sequence of chemicals that I put on the paper and every time I take them out of the processor, they look different. Like, it's so weird. I haven't, like, fully understood the magic of, like, how different it looks every time. Um, so there's always, like, an element of surprise for me, which is really exciting. Like, it's, like, the same. I, I love ceramics as well. And, like, putting, you know, the alchemy within ceramics, you put, you make a glaze and then you put it in and, it like, it doesn't always come out the same. There'll be, like, something, another glaze that's in the kiln that will set it off and make it go another colour or... You know, there's something really exciting about like the anticipation of like waiting, um, and then. Whew. Is it quite a long process? Um, the chemicals in the darkroom can get very long-winded, and it can become really annoying. It can go from a cathartic experience to like a really frustrating one, where I'm literally like <laughs> going to headbutt the wall because doing everything in the dark with loads of like weird, stinking, like crusty, like bottles of gross stuff. Um, they can get knocked over and then like one thing leads to another and you're literally like in a pool of like sick rummaging around <laughs> on like a really filthy like dusty floor trying to like look for your phone you know to find out where the light switch is like <laughs> it can be really disgusting <laughs> and so it can take it takes quite a long time actually and then I used to I I leave them to bake for like a few weeks 
as well, which changes it. Like the longer you leave it, the more um, of the image will be like taken. So like the camera, some some will completely wipe the image. So sometimes I'd leave them for too long and get them back, and like all the images that I'd worked on that were underneath the chemicals were all gone, and that would be really frustrating. So then I had to do it all over again. It's quite. It sounds like quite an involved and also quite a physical process. Like the fact that your body has to physically come into contact with the work. It's quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, I am crawling some because the paper's really big on some of them, and so I'd be like crawling on top of it and stuff. <laughs> it sounds so fun. I wear like really a... disgusting that like, overall, which is so disgusting. <laughs> I need to wash that. I'm probably going to wash it today. <laughs> One of the things that I also really love about this work is that you, and about your work generally, is that there's a lot of nuance in it, which I really like. I think a lot of the time when people are exploring ideas of like sexuality or shame or motherhood or desire or trauma, like it tends to be quite binary and it's just like one interpretation, like one read. Whereas I kind of like how sort of messy to be honest you acknowledge these things to be how complicated you sort of invite us to think about them to be is it quite cathartic for you kind of working things through in that way and sort of allowing them to be what they are in all of their complexity yeah I mean definitely I mean it's all I think it's messy for everyone isn't it really Mm. so I'm definitely like it's nice to be able to work through those um those feelings and not I, I try not to, um, I guess I'm like what you were saying about secrets. I still can be quite secretive about what I'm saying because um, it's not fully figured out. You know, that's the thing. Like, I don't really come into something with an answer. It's like a question. So it's like a journey and you've got to like, you know, figure it out. Because otherwise, you know, it's not really exciting if you're just saying like, this is it and this is how it mm. is. It's a question and a conversation. And um, Yeah, that's why I love the abstract work so much because I mean it's I guess it is abstract compared to your other work but there all there is often like figurative elements to it as well like it's not completely it's abstracted rather than completely abstract for me anyway and so it does feel like every time you come to it you can have like a different experience depending on your mood or your the baggage you've got of the day which I, I just really like it feels quite visceral in that way like you can't not have a relationship to it partly because it makes it is so immersive as I was saying it like forces you to get up close but also because I think the the interplay with texture and color like it just does something to you physically that um is quite challenging in a really exciting way one thing I was curious about obviously you've been working for a long time you started when you were quite young and I I was really interested to hear about how you think about beauty because it feels like in your commercial work beauty was quite a powerful strategy for you to like draw people into things that you wanted to talk about and then I know you've talked about sort of disregarding that in some ways in your in your art practice. I wish I could fall further from the beauty but I seem to be still quite stuck to it which is annoying because I can't like fully let go. How have your thoughts and feelings about beauty in relation to your practice like evolved yeah it's it's a tough one that I think like obviously because the reason I'm like you know so conscious about beauty is because I'm a woman and obviously like it's something that's been like stuck on my forehead uh <laughs> for a yeah. long like for as as long as I was born I suppose people 
comment on it. You watch films and the women are all beautiful and, you know, that's their relation to men is to be beautiful. So it's like, you know, it's very like, it's very much something that's just like been pinned on me. I didn't necessarily like, if I could go back in time, I would hope not to be interested in that. I was looking at like at the airport the other day, like there was just like a section for kids toys. And there was like um, the section for girls was like, everything had like, like basically like a surgery face, like a surgery, surgery girl's face, like saying like top model over all these coloring pencils and things like that. And then you looked at the boys side and the boys side had like spanners and like, you know, football and trucks and like, just looks so much more useful and like I was like oh god and like you know the girls toys were literally just completely beautified you know just pink and lipstick and like um just sparkly faces pretty faces um, and that's it um and it's yeah you it's pretty like easy to realize why my work is beautiful you know when that's what you know, I've been told yeah. I should be. You're socialised from like day one. <laughs> I'm like, I really would love to like, to fall further away from that beauty stereotype. But it's also interesting to work with those stereotypes you're given, you know, to work through them, you know, because that was what was interesting about fashion for me in the beginning was, you know, because all orientated around, you know, beauty um, and, you know, looking good and, um, you know, uh, to to discover and to sort of like to work through those ideas within fashion felt, you know, cathartic and interesting and actually like some kind of work, you know, so that the connection is quite, quite deep there. But yeah, I, mm. I definitely like if I could try to step away more from the beauty, I would, I would feel like that would be an accomplishment, but there's lots mm. of other reasons as well that I don't, you know, like working with people, I, don't want those people to be upset with the image that I present of them. You know, I don't want to take images of people and make people feel uncomfortable about the way they look. Um, so I've always kind of like when I take a picture of someone, I always want them to feel their best um, and to feel confident with the image that they see afterwards. And that does mean that they do get retouched and things like that sometimes, you know? Mm. Um, and I do wish that I could be more unflattering <laughs> and show people in a more mm-hmm. realistic light. Um, than often I do, you know, I, I admire um, photographers that can get away with that and not, you know, feel like they owe something to the person they're photographing in making them look good or feel good. How do you feel about fashion now? Because you've been in that space for a, over a decade. I've seen a lot, like the changes um, at this point is amazing. Like, like it's so much more open-minded now casting is so much more like free you know like we see so many different faces so many different body types like I'm really proud to at least seen or if not been a part of that um and I think that's really important I think you know unfortunately we've definitely we're still with that which is great you know we are still kind of like seriously like probably making girls feel like really crazy with like the amount of surgery that's become so fashionable now and things like that. It's not very healthy. Um, but there is a side to it where I think it's become so much more open and that I do feel really proud, <laughs> proud, <laughs> but I think it's really exciting how much the industry has changed. Cause you don't realize how much an image 
like marks a generation. Like images we see, everyone, all of us in the media, they really, really do shape our society. And I think um, they are important. And I think it has changed a lot and it's exciting and good. I 100% agree. You were part of a really interesting generation, it feels like, in terms of like disrupting a lot of that stuff. Like it feels like you were part of a group who began to sort of dismantle these boundaries between art and fashion in a fashion space, like bring, not to say there weren't other photographers who did this, but there was a sort of groundswell movement as you were coming up of photographers who were sort of dismantling like what the traditional ideas of fashion were, who could be photographed, blending that with like documentary and and real people. And like you said, different bodies, different looks. It is really interesting to think about that. And then obviously the generation sort of after you have taken that even further, a lot of probably because of the work that you did to sort of lay the path for them. But it's really interesting, these these shifts, because photography, when you think about it, it's always changing. But the, the change in the last 10 years through things like this, through the industries becoming more inclusive, through tech changing, through photographers taking the power back to some degree. I think a lot of it has to do with like having more female photographers because I yeah. think really when I started there really wasn't many and I think the reason the outlook on the body and things has changed is because there are female photographers now and I think men would have liked to have done that but I don't think they felt probably they had the ownership to do that and some men probably just fancy sexy girls so that was more what they were interested yeah. in so I think a lot of that has come down to the fact that there's so many more female photographers now and they can you know be more realistic with the idea of the body and mm. I think before it was like obviously like the male gaze's idea of the body which was like not beautiful but not that many guys were into sort of like stretch marks and sort of like belly flab mm. um, so I feel like there that part of the movement has definitely been a lot to do with like the increase of like female photographers yeah it's true do you feel like there has been this sort of power shift in the industry since when you started to now in terms of photographers having more control over their image and more say in the ideation of campaigns? Yes and no. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's still still reigns there being held. Yeah, there's always so many people involved when you do any kind of fashion job. There's hundreds of people involved. <laughs> one thing I was curious to ask you about is obviously you've touched on it a couple of times you you know you've been exploring ideas around womanhood for a long time I wondered what you've discovered about yourself in having this time to reflect and make work and sort of contemplate these ideas oh so much I don't even know where I could begin do you feel like it's been like a big growth space for you uh being able to sort of express yourself creatively to work out these ideas about yeah what it means to be a woman in the world if you like yeah I mean I'm not there yet I'm still figuring out for sure (laughs) definitely but I think it's important to although I mean maybe it'd be a better life not to get read too deep into some things I do think this society has sort of like become maybe like too analytical of things and it's like getting to a point where it's like there are some things that should be left alone Mm, that's interesting say more actually (laughs) I'm just like you know like people like you know searching for repressed memories and like really digging to like so deep um got it you know sometimes 
it's a lot like tra- trauma harvesting yeah kind of. like going back into like history and um you know everyone's talking about sort of like trauma that's passed down and things like that mm-hmm. um through the bloodline i mean that's some of the reason that some of the like ideas um for sins of a daughter is kind of like looking back through like past tra- traumas but i'm kind of sometimes like you know maybe we don't need to know like how our ancestors suffered so much like not not like obviously we do but like like you don't want to carry too much baggage yeah i mean life is very complicated already yeah it's really complicated already without having to <laughs> check what your mum had and then grandma and then grandma's grandma and then <laughs> grandma yeah, it's a grandma, lot and then you're like whoa <laughs> people are really <laughs> fucked up <laughs> <laughs> it's true everyone's got problems yeah. I wanted to ask you about desire because it's something that feels like has really captivated you for a long time. And it feels like over, you know, in all of your work, in your fashion work, in your art practice, you've kind of looked at it in all these different ways from thinking about like the confines of desire, the patriarchal forces and the way they shape desire, our just general understanding of it and like the messiness of it as an individual, just trying to figure out our own personal desires and how we feel about things why why is that so captivating for you what kind of keeps you coming back to it uh, I think um well as a kid as a teenager I was always like very like sex obsessed I think most teenagers are but I was always very sex obsessed and I guess um like just looking through and trying to understand that also like you know when I was younger I would photograph guys a lot when I first started out photographing it would be like boyfriends and um things like that and I guess I, at the time when I was younger I hadn't really seen that much like sexy imagery of guys and I was kind of like you know when I think of like sexy things it would be like you know big tits women and I'm like where did I I mean obviously my first ever encounter with anything was a big tit so mm. I would be attracted to those actually naturally because that was my first love there's a big pair of tits with my mum. She's mm-hmm. got quite big ones. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you have, I think there was a point when I was younger when I realised that, you know, all the porn I'd watched, all the films I'd watched, like, just all, like, sexual encounters had likely been, like, written by a man, you know, visualised by a man. And I guess there's a part of me that wanted to kind of, like, figure out what I desired more. Um, but with that, with that like a life of of man's desires on me I don't really know if I could ever be able to have like fully my own desire as a woman and I just feel like I wanted to be a part of like um a new generation of sort of like um sexiness for ladies (laughs) Mm. you know so that we had something that we could look at and or I could have something that I could look at that was my own idea of what I thought was sexy. Um, yeah. It's quite a powerful thing, isn't it, really? Because you can't sort of underestimate how much we've been socialised to think about sex and so much. desire, yeah, through that very white male gaze. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting time. Like, and I've really loved all the stuff, all the books I've read, all the porn I watched, all the films I watched. I loved all those, and they were amazing. But it's it, it's just interesting to see a different point of view. You're part of a generation who have been 
really sort of bold and forthcoming about exploring some of these ideas. Do you feel like a particular kinship with any other female photographers of your generation? I think I've only just started like hanging out with photographers or like knowing about other photographers. I feel like when I was younger, I was like really isolated or something from that. I don't really have, I never really had like friends in fashion or friends in photography. It was like quite removed from that world in a way. So I didn't really like necessarily like do it that way which I think mm-hmm. is more something that people are doing now which is really exciting when people are like you know part of a community and like really bouncing off each other like that mm. I remember I really used to love like I'm trying to think of the first like I mean the first female photographers I really liked was like Sally Mann and um, a lot of the, the first photographers I really liked were male mm-hmm. really when I think about I mean, that's how we get introduced to it, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> like Peter Beard was probably the first photographer. I didn't really notice he was a photographer because he works so much into his images, actually. I can see a lot of of me in, in his work. He would like use blood and things like that on his collages. And my dad used to read me the books he would write about Africa. Do you have creative parents? Yeah, my parents are really creative. Like when I was younger, they worked in the toy industry, so they were like le- less creative. But my mum's now an art teacher. Oh wow! Did you have quite a creative upbringing? Definitely, I was. I, my parents were super free and like easygoing. They let me do whatever I want, and I that I always had things in the house to make things with, which was really like so important. I think growing up, like my parents let me make a mess, which I think is really important. I know, like. I did teaching for a bit when I was younger because my mum had so many art classes that I took over a few of them when I was younger. And, you know, some of the kids would like steal felt tips. And I'd be like, yeah, I've noticed you've been seeing felt tips. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing with that? It's not, it's not okay. And they'd be like, I just wanted to finish my homework. I don't have any like pens at home. And I'd be like, you don't have any pens at home, nothing. And they'd be like, no. Mm. And like, it would be true. You know, they'd be like, mm. they don't want the, the house to be messy or like, the kids to draw on the wall or like you know like I feel like we have you know everyone's got an iPad but like there's no space for kids to make a mess and I think yeah it's really important for kids growing up to be able to like make a mess and that's why I've worked with my friend Crescent Brotherstone on um lots of art therapy projects um which I think is really important to me because I don't know I can kind of like see the way kids are growing up now and like you know I used to play in the street all day long and like kids don't play in the street anymore you know not allowed out at night you know like I used to play in the street till like midnight and that was Mm. fine and like have freedom like draw chalk everywhere and like you know it felt so much more free and now it's like kids just stay inside on their iPads and I'm just like I'm kind of worried for how I'm just gonna say psycho that's probably a bit cruel but I'm worried about how the next generation are gonna be like cyborg like emotions I don't know like yeah I get worried sometimes about how non-physical I feel like very much like I was saying before about the JPEG I feel like kids like JPEG I just wanted to ask you a bit about publishing and books because you've obviously made so many different books about so many different subjects I'm curious why the book is like an object or a platform for your work is so important to you I think the book like especially with photography um, and image making I feel like it works so well like at presenting like a story and like a narrative exhibition is something I'd like to to work 
with more on as well. But obviously, like the photo book is, I think, a photographer's first outlet. Um, and it's a nice way to, you know, finish an idea and, you know, get it across in a way that it's readable. <laughs> okay, you ready for quick fire questions? Oh, yeah. How do you deal with self doubt? Well, the first thing I thought was to put my head in the sand, but that's not, that's not a good thing to say. But it is honest. Self-doubt. That's actually a really hard question, you know. <laughs> Sorry, they're all hard, honey. I'm not going to lie to you. In my head, I'm like, what's self-doubt? I don't even understand what self-doubt is in this moment. I'm like, self-doubt. But maybe you don't have self-doubt. That's just natural. I try to keep it, like, chill. I'm like, it's cool. I'm always going to be self-doubting. Just try and get on with it. Try not to self, like procrastinate because that is my biggest. I think that's my biggest issue with self doubt. Just like procrastinate, so you don't have to get to the self doubt. Mm-hmm. So you never even got there because you procrastinated the whole time, and then you wasted all the time, and there wasn't any time to self doubt. It was one of the things I loved about how you described working on Sins of Daughter in that you've kind of cultivated this space where you can't fail. Yes, you'll like certain results more than others, but I think I think there's something quite smart about that. Yeah, um, you can't fail if you do it in the dark. Yeah, I mean, this is so liberating, though. Like, if you think about how much fucking pressure we're under to make everything perfect, like, it's, I think that's really exciting. That like setting up that kind of framework for you is really, really smart. It definitely helped me, and I think it's like an a gateway to doing things in the light. <laughs> <laughs> how do you cope with the pressure to follow up when one project's finished? And you kind of got to go again. Oh, that's hard. Starting again. Well, I do a lot of procrastinating, which is awful. And so I would just say trying not to procrastinate and just get on with it. Because as soon as you start, it's fine, isn't it? But, oh, the procrastination. Wow. What does art enable you to do that perhaps if you worked in another field, you wouldn't be able to do it? Um, Immediately, I thought be a wanker. Because <laughs> I'm not an artist. You uh, don't think of yourself as an artist. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, it gives you. It gives you. Well, for me, it gives me uh, knowledge and a way to work through questions and to like. If I'm like to learn, like in a learn the way that I can, because my brain doesn't. You know, at school I wasn't good at things academically I was good at art and I think you can learn through art you can learn to learn through art and that's for me what I that's what I like about art is that it allows me to learn in the way that I actually can because I actually can't learn in other ways because my brain wasn't made like that that's really interesting my my wife's neuro neurodiverse and she hated school because she was treated like she was stupid and she's actually fucking brilliant yeah and so it's been so interesting watching her because we've been together for a really long time, like cultivate a way of being in the world, which suits the way she sees. And actually it's become her creative superpower that she sees things just so different to everybody else, that it, what she can offer people is so, yeah, it's so exciting. And yeah, it's really interesting, but it's, it's, I think it's really powerful for people to hear that, you know, someone like you who they really look up to, did struggle in that framework of education in some ways because it is so restrictive and it's not that open to 
different ways of working is so standardized and mm. around testing and you know all that bollocks that it yeah. is it is like it's a shame but then I think like what would a better way be and it, it would be very complex it, it's really complex the education system to figure out how it would work in another way it's just, but yeah it's, just, it's definitely so different for everyone and I'm so glad that I had art because otherwise um if I didn't know that, that would have been an option I would have done really badly. People need to remember that there's different types of smart. Yeah. Um, Because it is a spectrum also, like, you know, people can be amazing at maths but not have any sort of, you know, other things. You know, it's just so subjective, smartness, and it should be, like, valued in different ways. Is there anything that you're unlearning? Unlearning. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well I'm trying to unlearn you know going to art school and thinking my art was bad and trying to realize that like nothing's bad and you know can set myself free and get back to sort of like being that child that's within somewhere Mm. that wants to like make a mess and just like do their thing trying to like unlearn like self-consciousness and you know thinking too much about what people think that's hard to unlearn it is but so important yeah do you think photographs still have the power to shift thinking or consciousness yeah definitely anything does so this is a question that I ask everybody at the end of the episode what matters more to you the process of making your work or the final image I think the process, I mean, that's why I don't, I don't really like sell that much stuff and things like that. I know what sells, you know, like a sexy, like naked girl genuinely sells. So like, like literally like a smart, if you can make a smart, sexy, naked girl image, that's going to sell. I try not to do that specifically. <laughs> I don't, I like being in the process. I like the process. That's like really exciting for me. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's honestly so fun to speak to you, Harley. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at gemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.